So, uh, this evening I would like to uh, start with just some uh, basic humor. And, um, you know, since you all work so hard today, and then uh, we'll get into the meat or the heart of um, kind of the function of practice itself. So, a young monk arrives at the monastery. He is assigned to help the other monks in copying the old canon and laws of the church by hand. He notices, however, that all of the monks are copying from copies, not from the original manuscript. So the new monk goes to the abbot to question this, pointing out that if someone made even the smallest error in the first copy, it would never be picked up. In fact, the error would be continuous in all of the subsequent copies. The abbot says, We've been copying from copies for centuries, but you make a good point, my son. So he goes down into the dark caves underneath the monastery, where the original manuscript is held in a locked vault that has, hasn't been opened for hundreds of years. Hours go by, and nobody sees the old abbot. Eventually, the young monk gets worried and goes downstairs to look for him. He sees him banging his head against the wall, crying uncontrollably. The young monk asks the old abbot, Father, what's wrong? In a choking voice, the old abbot replies, The word is celebrate, not celibate. So, so I'd like to use, uh, I'm going to use one of my poems just to start here as a place to begin with uh, that uh, is kind of my, what, calling card usually. Uh, but the only problem is I couldn't find the first couple lines of it, so we'll just go where I start, Okay. <laughs> I can make up some new ones if you wanted. (laughs) Knowing somehow they're taken by something greater. Knowing the first utterances overheard only by themselves. Dropping them only deeper. The silence of this impossible place. The white-tailed kite sitting so still, suspended over our valley, both wings in unison, hovering at the edge of its own insubstantiality, body still, eyes everywhere. Here the visible and the invisible shows us how our ego, mad mind, dreams on and on. Questioning what's real, who's real. Heralding the ancient panic. Here on this ground, the waves break, leaving you only sky, vast, empty sky. A groundlessness that sparks the panic which lights the flame again. A groundlessness that sparks the panic which lights the flame again. 
One wing which holds one above the valley, empty, maybe just emptiness. The other, some old flame with its warmth and its uncompromising light. One holding the void, the other touching our world. You knew you came to die, seeing through all the fabricated selves. The warmth and light, only things left. Please take my hand. The world knows you. They have been waiting, sanity and compassion. Yesterday, this was me. Today, not sure. So what I'd like to explore with you is actually the fundamentals of this practice, which are based on, uh, really, uh, there is one way of looking at it. They talk about it as a ground, a path, and fruit. And the ground itself um, is very much something that is uh, innately uh, part of you. And some, in some kind of texts and stuff, they talk about it as... Uh, Oh, essence or Buddha nature or uh, I like the word the big, you know. Uh, we've been using all sorts of words last night, a little more explanation of it. Uh, but ultimately here it's talking about that uh, my translation of it is actually basic goodness. Uh, that we all have this basic goodness within us. We hold this as our uh, that spark that allows us uh, to touch and, and hold each other uh, in some, uh, what, uh, I was going to say uh, divine or grace or mercy, uh, that uh, uh, is this circle, uh, this human circle, that uh, 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 when the fear is subsides and the, this uh, incredible mind uh, that separates out, that comes from a very early time, uh, where we began to create language and uh, created a sense of separateness of I and me and mine. You know? And in that kind of place where we began to realize that somehow to get the love we needed, uh, we couldn't just be children. Uh, we had to perform. You know, oh, if I could learn to read, or if I could potty train properly, or, then I would get the love I needed. Right? You know? So we began this process of, well, what does that take? What kind of comparison uh, do we generate uh, to have that? And the simple truth is that when that comparison begins to happen, we begin to create uh, what we know as the inner critic or the judge. And I think I've been hearing a lot of how that uh, particular voice or aspect of ourselves uh, brings so much confusion, so much suffering, uh, so much, um, you know, the disheartening or the covering up or the, this uh, incessant fear uh, that covers that basic goodness. You know, so we forget about that basic goodness. And uh, the practice here is this whole process, this complexity of going through, um, you know, our uh, um, 
sometimes our misguided longing for a connection, happiness, something that will kind of fill that emptiness or that void in us, you know, through all sorts of ways, you know. You know, and out of that, uh, that fear and that, uh, that kind of inner critic or inner judge, uh, we have uh, done all sorts of foolishness, you know, over and over. But here from this practice's point of view, uh, they say that there is this basis, which is the capacity to, in a sense, uh, go beneath, go below this kind of neurotic mind, uh, that is incessantly creating these stories that keep us somehow uh, entangled, you know, that force us in some way to uh, uh, kind of miss this basic goodness in us, you know, that we, uh, in a sense, discount it and say somehow uh, the judge or the critic or the you know, uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not enough. And that came from an early time, you know, where it was as simple as, you know, um, it's about love, you know. Somehow that uh, we created a... A belief, you know, it's really a belief or a view that uh, that if we couldn't uh, dance and perform and you know do all this stuff, then we wouldn't be loved. Okay, we wouldn't be loved. So we come to practice. We come to practice with this kind of woundedness and this, um, you know, the first part of this practice is actually seeing how we work. You know, how the, uh, how we fundamentally operate. You know, it's, and it's, uh, sometimes it's uh, disheartening. Uh, there's the sadness, there's the fear, there's the, I'll never get through this, I'll never get through. You know, it just comes back again and again and that hollowness in there is uh, so great, and you know there is such a need somehow uh, how how do I hold and you know uh, does it come from out there somewhere? you know, and so there 's this whole questioning that has to happen in us, and in that questioning, then we have to look at well, how are we going to work with this and this is just one particular path i don 't think there 's any one path, okay. This is just one I'm going to speak about. And this ground is actually uh, has to do with this basic goodness. And the path itself is confusion. Uh, it is the chaos that uh, is uh, this message that somehow, you know, uh, if I don't fill this hole, this hollow, this uh, longing, this need, from somewhere, you know, that somehow I'm not enough and this is not enough. No matter what it is, this is not enough. Okay. 
Now, the path itself says that there is a process. Uh, the path is confusion, but there is the fruit, uh, the fruit of this practice. And this practice is a very uh, systematic approach uh, to training the mind uh, so that the mind itself uh, can um, not only find rest and that it can find that somewhere deep down inside, below uh, all the mind chatter and the neurosis, you know, uh, that there is uh, what the Buddha was simply pointing at. He used the word peace. You know, that there is peace. Uh, and it is uh, that that uh, was already there, originally there. Uh, so no longer looking outside for it, but we turn inside. And we start, they say there are four aspects of this that I'll speak about tonight when we talk about the fruition. And the first of these is uh, the, the word calm abiding. That we find a way to, to uh, live a process that allows this collecting, which we're doing here, uh, to drop us down. To actually, uh, the stillness allows us to look deeper. And they talk about it as they use the terminology of placement. So this is a placement practice. You know. And they talk about it as having stages. of. Uh, actually, there's a tanka here, which starts out with kind of, the, it uses an elephant uh, in its kind of darkness, in its um, uh, scatteredness. And that there is a journey that uh, we take in uh, this placement. So we place the mind uh, on an object. And so what we begin here with is we train the mind on an object. Now, the mind is crazy. <laughs> you know, it's a monkey. That uh, its nature is that uh, it just jumps from object to object. Uh, consciousness arises and it looks for whatever uh, appears. You know, and it grabs that object and it doesn't stay interested very long. We see this in kind of in the, I don't know, in the kind of, I guess, the TV world where they keep making everything shorter and faster and, and more, uh, you know, mega, mega, mega seconds uh, to change so that a person stays what? Interested. And so there's no boredom there's a stimulation. Uh, there is the mind jumping from object to object. You know, and that somehow, oh, we'll find peace in that or some kind of happiness. And that is all about covering up the hollowness that's there. Kind of covering up the need. You know, that, that place inside that says, oh, I'm not enough. This is not enough. You know, okay, come on, feed me. You know, endlessly feed me. So there's a mind that turns and says, oh, I can actually begin to address this. And in addressing this is actually to uh, train the mind. You know, this crazy mind that, um, you know, uh, one, one moment of feeling the breath, you know, and uh, I think it was, uh, I was trying to think of some of these, 
uh, I can't remember who said it right now, but he talked about if you could only, in an hour's time, catch the breath once, that would be a good hour. You know, I think it was uh, Aquinas. Just once in an hour. Why? Because the fact that when we wake up and we actually own what's happening, we begin to train ourselves to come where? Where does the breath happen? Where does sensation happen? No. Where does it happen? It happens here, right now. It's not in some past or future. It's actually here. So we begin to train the mind in bring through placing it on a simple object. And sometimes that can be a mantra or a gata or um, you know a visualization. Uh, these are all they're all what they call you know proper objects. You know, in the sense you need one object, and then you bring the mind back again and again. And what happens is it begins to settle. You know, and it's really uh, the first uh, objective here is to collect, uh, collect uh, the mind. You know, and there's interesting phenomena that happens when we collect the mind. The kind of this placement practice is the first thing is it becomes actually there's a lightness of body. You know, uh, the mind becomes quite pliable. Uh, there's a sense of, they use the word piti, which is uh, it's really a, a, a sensation, a joy that comes from uh, that uh, stillness and collectedness. You know? And it's something very, very possible. And as we sit here, you're here for enough time where you're going to come to some moments where the mind then begins to collect itself and it feels so free. That freedom is imperative. Okay? It's imperative that we start with that. And if there's nothing else you get here, is you can again and again say, okay, let it be simple. Let me just put my attention on a simple object. Now, why did the Buddha use uh, actually of the simplest objects? Uh, I spent uh, my first years in uh, Tibetan practice, very complex practices. Uh, and when I first came to this insight practice, uh, I was uh, thrilled because I'm kind of dyslexic, ADD, all these things, you know. And suddenly they gave me an object, which was so simple, you know. And I began to realize that, you know, it's really this whole process of the calm abiding uh, is about the, the heart of this practice is a thing called uncomplicated, you know that it's uncomplicated, right? The breaking down of the complexity, so we're actually just here. And that here actually has something about enoughness that is already inherent in you. You know this. You know, you know what I'm saying. You know, you've been here long enough to get just the simplest piece of that. You know, I love this word uncomplicated you know I mean it's kind of um, you know it's like the word simple you know it's a great word so the things I would like to hold is that 
uh, if there's nothing else you learn here, is just to bring the attention back and allow, in some sense, uh, if you could just sit down, I don't care where, in your car, your work, or wherever, and you stop and you put your attention for a few moments on the uncomplicated. You know, the breath, the body, is what the Buddha really advocated. And there was a reason he used that object. You know, uh, for one thing, uh, there's no belief system in it. All human beings breathe. So it's a universal object. So it has no, uh, there's no nothing about it, right? No views, no opinions, no, you don't have to do anything. It's just breathing, you know, everybody does it. The other thing is that it holds a a fundamental truth. And that fundamental truth, as you all know, what that that we use the word impermanence. Kevin used that word a bit, and you know Heather used it's it's what's so. But the mind knows this. You know, you all know this is all impermanent. Okay, I, I know you know that, but you know it up here. Not here. You know. It was good to hit the mic, but anyway. <laughs> That's to emphasize. <laughs> to emphasize. The piece is that uh, this whole process is actually going down below the, the, um, uh, the multi-fabrication of the mind, which is this kind of uh, constant, uh, you know, chatter that's going on and that somehow that uh, that mind that's chattering all the time uh, we think in words so we're sitting here going around making up our world in words unbelievable you know you got this little thing going boing, 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 you know it's like a little pac-man you know and it's making up all this stuff about what's happening is that what's actually happening that's a question is that actually what's happening? Or is there something actually below that that's so much simpler and so direct and so uncomplicated that it actually is touching uh, uh, that simple truth of this is enough. I am enough. You know. And it's already built in. You know, and so what we're training is sort of like a ping pong game. You know, we try to bring it back, and it, you know, boing, off it goes, off it goes, and you're going, well, what the hell am I doing here? You know, it's just ping pong, right? It just keeps going back and forth, back and forth, and um, but the idea of the teachings themselves is where is one pointing to? And what's true is once the mind begins to collect itself, you know, which has great, um, you know, uh, great stability, uh, has joy, uh, has lightness of body, uh, has, um, you know, actually if you take it to its fullest extent, uh, you actually go into, um, you know, specific altered states or trances. Now, I don't want to get into that here because I think you know a lot about this, so I'll I'll just (laughs) shut up, right? (laughs) 
you know. But that's true, you know. And, you know, and, uh, you know, they don't have so, they still have attachment in them, by the way. That's just the way they go, you know. But what we're doing here is we're trying to collect ourselves enough and uh, get steady enough and stable, actually a stable mind, that then has a function, a purpose. And so they talk about, well, once there is this calm abiding, that one then uh, goes into what is known as uh, this uh, insight practice, or I like to use the word intuitive insight. You know, uh, It's also from the word vipassana, and, or vipassana, or vipassana, or you know, all the dozens of... Tr- of pronunciations, but uh, the V means to see. And pasana sometimes is translated as special. And uh, um, uh, it also translates as clearly or clarity. So to see clearly to have clarity. And so uh, the calmness is great. It, it, it has its purpose. And if you just you know, sit and work with your breath, that's fine. Because eventually what you're doing is this object that you're working with, first of all, allows you, uh, the breath goes in, it goes out. We start to then see into the nature or the conditioning of things. And what is that? Oh, the breath is always in motion. You know, there's a moment between the breath, which again, being quite precise. Uh, But it's the functionality. And the functionality is, it's a river, a flow of experience that the mind catches it for a moment and jumps away. It catches it for a moment, then it sits for a moment with it, and then it jumps away. That's what it does. So we have this insight, this intuitive insight, which means that somehow that uh, as the mind begins to collect itself and settle down some, then it begins to, it begins to um, recognize uh, uh, what is happening in present time. Okay? And we call that insight. And it's a very specific function uh, because that particular function happens to be that the mind itself, uh, which has now kind of settled itself, uh, begins this, uh, it's really a process of inquiry, you know, of uh, what is it that's happening right now? Right now. Not uh, yesterday, not tomorrow. And they talk about it as um, one of the old things about calm abiding. I, I love this description. All these old descriptions was uh, is not a Tibetan text uh, of uh, a pig. Uh, that uh, the the pig. What you want to do is make sure that you don't let the pig in the flower garden. And so it's better to hit the pig on the nose before it gets in the flower garden. Okay. Once it gets in the flower garden, it's really hard to get out. Now, I think you know this about your thoughts right now. You got it? You know, maybe it's better to you know, go back to the breath and let that go. 
and uh, not get so lost and involved, okay? I mean, you've told the story enough times, right? Is this true? Yeah, I think so, you know? And part of this, yeah, you have to run the story for a while. Okay, I understand that. But after a while, you know, <laughs> same one, you know, I mean, you can change a few of the characters if you want, but, you know, come on, you know. So you go, oh, you know, maybe what I can do is bring my attention uh, to the breath and then notice what's happening here, you know. What is it that's actually going on? And this is really the intuitive insight. And how does that happen? Well, it happens because the mind, uh, this mind, this tricky mind, uh, moves faster than the speed of light. I mean, I think that's really, it's, it's fast, right? And at the same time, the body uh, is this biochemical hormonal process that's very repetitive. And so... Uh, most of us are trained, you know, to actually uh, follow the nature of the mind and not actually uh, recognize the connection to the body. Now, what is the body telling you when the mind actually touches it? What's it telling you? No. Oh. No. Uh, sorry about the discomfort part. But anyway... Uh, The truth is that when we make that connection, the mind and body connect, there is also an uh, an intelligence. Intelligence that has more to do with our wholeness, you know, Uh, not with our separateness. And so we're actually training ourselves by putting a simple thing like taking the mind and putting it on a true object and doing it again and again. And it begins to settle, and it begins to see what is it that's happening here. Oh, this is not a solid thing. The mind is trying to make everything solid. (coughs) Why? Why would the mind do that all the time? What's its purpose? Well, first, of course, it's to keep the organism safe. Okay, I'll agree with that. Um, but there's more to it than that. You know, it's trying to create some kind of safety. Okay? I'm trying to make the world solid. Then I'll be safe, right? So that's what my mind's trying to do with everything. Is that true when you put, when the mind and body make a connection? What is it that's actually going on from a deeper state underneath you know, what's, it's just this flow. It's a river of information uh, that's constantly in flux. There's no way that you could ever block it or hold it or anything because it's always what being recreated moment after moment. And it is due to causes and conditions. Right? It doesn't mean that your knee's not going to hurt. What it means is this is a new moment and that there's all kinds of possibilities that are happening that are beyond the little confine of this little box called, you know, I, me, mind, that I've created this kind of, excuse me, neurotic reality that uh, somehow, uh, through my need to uh, make this hard and solid, okay, now I feel safe, you know. 
And yet it's not true, you know. So here it is, we're trying to learn something. You know, it's like learning to surf or something. You know, we have to learn how to ride uh, uh, the constant flux of experience that's happening, you know. And then in that process of trying to find that, we begin to see that there is not only... Mindfulness is interesting because the mind is full of what? Of the moment. It has no other function than that. It's kind of simplistic, you know. Okay, the mind is full of the moment. Moment after moment. It's only moment after moment after moment. And we are saying, well, is that enough? You know, maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe the deer. Uh, they, they're in the moment, right? You know, so that mindfulness is, that's one aspect of it. But there's another aspect, and they, they use the language of Sampapajana in the kind of Pali text. And it means that there, what arises with the mindfulness is clear comprehension. Okay? So it knows the reality of the simplicity or of the moment. You know? So it knows that this is what? It's in flux. There's no way to hold it. It also recognizes that any kind of grasping or clutching or attachment to anything, and you're trying to drag something in the river, guess what? You're going to suffer. Guaranteed. Okay? And the other is that because what's happening in the truth of that, we keep saying, well, I'm John. I just arose a moment ago. Is this the same John right now that arose? I don't think so. You know, it appears to be that way, just like the mind tries to solidify everything, making John into something you know, hard and fast and solid. But when I look deeply, you know, all I see is the mindfulness in one moment. I arise due to causes and conditions, and that consciousness uh, arises and identifies with it. That's all it's doing. You know, is it the same? It appears to be the same. But the Buddha questioned that. He said, you know, is that so? And he said, I look deeply for some solid sense of self. And he didn't find it. You know, he just said, oh, due to causes and conditions, the identity rises moment to moment. That's all. No, not, not complicated. Again, this is not complicated stuff. You know? So you can relax. You know? Come on. You're making it up. Okay? You know, you made the whole thing up. You know? Now, part of this Sampapajana, this clear comprehension, is that uh, there is also built into this uh, a phenomenal um, intelligence. You know, and this intelligence says, first, I know my purpose. My purpose uh, has to do with freedom. You know, I know what suffering is. I know what attachment is. I know what grasping's all about. You know, I know what that is. You know what that is. You know, you know very well what that is. And so you also know that there is this uh, innate longing that when the mind then begins to uh, collect itself and it begins to uh, not hold so tightly 
to its uh, kind of concepts of things. Then that loosening that happens. Then when that loosening begins to happen, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, it's deep in there. You know? And that we all kind of carry that longing. And all of you here, you know, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. You do something. There's so many other things to do. I applaud you for coming, you know, from such long distances and everything. Just what? To acknowledge, you know, that this freedom is something that, you know, uh, know, it's uh, rearing its head and saying, this is so, you know. Now, what's interesting about that freedom, that longing or that wanting or that seeker in you, is that uh, they say that also what arises in this clear comprehension is that you can begin to trust this innate intelligence. When the mind and the body are connected and they realize that, you know, if the grasping is there, I suffer. If the uh, ability to uh, uh, see the uh, kind of the phenomenal impermanent nature of things, that, oh, I'm just hanging here and it's changing all the time and I'm okay with that, you know. When that happens, what, what happens? You know, we begin to trust that actually this intelligence is there. I don't have to think about it, by the way. It's not about thinking. You know? It's actually about that there is an innate intelligence that is, they say, is, has suitability or adaptability. That means that, that in your wholeness, you, know, you don't have to worry. I, I like this. You, know? you don't have to. You can actually be present for what's happening here and that there is uh, this innate intelligence that knows what to do. So you can actually begin to trust, you know, uh, not what you think up, but actually uh, the intelligence in the flow itself. You know, it's pretty cool, you know. They say there's also uh, this, uh, that goes with this, this intelligence. Uh, is uh, the it's translated as uh, 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 the clear purpose of reality, you know. And now, now I can get out there. Okay, I like getting out there. So, and it has to do with uh, what they call the two truths: that there's the absolute, or uh, what we know is um, uh, the unconditioned, or um, uh, you know, they use the word emptiness, and I don't like this word. It's it's kind of it's too much on the in our culture as a la- in language is nihilism. It goes too much to say no about the things. So I don't particularly like it. But what I do like is the word that that translates as potential. So it says that everything has constant potential. Wow. Okay? Constant potential is always there. So we can actually let go into constant potential. Uh, you know, and they use the word emptiness, but you know, I, I don't know. The Dalai Lama has 18 you know, types of emptiness and all that stuff. You know? <laughs> there's emptiness of mind. There's emptiness of seeing, smelling, tasting, hearing. 
you know, and then all the organs of the body that do that, and then the, when the consciousness connects with those, and you have 18. If that made any sense to you, you're doing good. <laughs> you know? But it's as simple as saying, you know, on one side, the absolute, there is total potential in the universe. It, it always exists there, you know? And so, and somehow, you know, I mean, using the word God or this thing about, we can trust in the truth of that. You can use the word uh, in the sense of, of uh, the unsubstantialness of things, you know? That this is what appears to, to, to my seeing, what appears to my thinking, what appears to my sense experience, you know? Because it's all in flux, uh, it actually is substancelessness. It has no reality beyond that. And therefore, it has all the potential of everything in it. Okay? That's really great. You know? So that is, that is part of what we have to learn. On the other side, there's John. I'm a neurotic. You know? uh, you know, I'm just as screwed up as anybody else. Uh, I you know, am always uh, in some process of, um, you know, of comparison, of, uh, of uh, uh, trying to you know, either be the good boy or the rebel, or, you know, or there's the judge in me that's trying to you know, make me right and you wrong or something. You know? It's like this is part of the relative world. You know? And we're all working with that. You know? And uh, what we hope to do here is that in this mindfulness, in this capacity to free ourselves uh, into the flow of things, and that, oh, it's okay. You know, it's always been okay. So I can let go into the fluidity of things, the, this river of uh, constant information and uh, stuff, consciousness kind of making contact with these different sense doors that that's going, including the thinking. In Buddhism, we only, we talk about this, you know, the six senses. And the mind is not different than a sensation in the body. You know, what is a thought? Anybody answer that one? That's a good one. No? You know, it's only in relationship to other things. It's only relative. You know? Tasteless, odorless, doesn't have any, only in relationship, you know? Powerful. Powerful. You know, very powerful. But it is still just that. And so our capacity... Uh, actually to uh, recognize uh, the, uh, this fluidity and our capacity to recognize that the relative world, you know, uh, the John that's here, uh, you know, that you're sitting there and there's sensations in your body and you're holding all this, you know, uh, that you also hold this potential And this potential says, I can let go. And actually, what's true about the relative, it says, I know how to love. Why? It's the friction. It's time. It means that you have to bang up against things. And because you bang up against things, uh, you know, uh, you learn what suffering is. All of you have learned this piece. And it's what allows your heart, uh, that relative world allows your heart to be moved. You know, 
one of the great teachers out of uh, Bombay, uh, Sri Nisargadatta. Uh, you know, it's like having favorite lines or mantras. And uh, one of the pieces I've carried for, you know, 20 years of his is, uh, you know, is, um, now I'm forgetting it. See, that's 20 years ago. Uh, now, um, uh, Anyway, it's it's um, the mind uh, uh, tells me I'm nothing. Love tells me I'm everything, and somewhere between the two, my life flows. You know, and we have to somehow find this what the Buddha called the middle ground of being able to see the potential, and the potential says I can let go of whatever it is, and we train ourselves in this practice of we have to put more attention on actually that uh, the uh, you know, absolute or whatever you want to call it. You all have different names for it. But the truth is that that says that uh, there is a kind of unifying principle here that uh, says we're not separate. You know, and that uh, what we see here is not maybe what's so. Something bigger going on here. Much bigger. You know, I always like to think of myself as like an ant, you know, crawling around on an elephant. But I have no idea about the elephant. <laughs> you know, none whatsoever. Because I'm an ant. You know? And uh, so, uh, but there is some organizing principle you know, it's a self-organizing principle that if I allow myself to come into harmony in myself, you know, that that self-organizing principle, uh, you know, uh, it holds all things. You know, I'm okay. You know, when I allow myself the truth of that. So we come down to this piece of where this sapapajana, this uh, clear comprehension, uh, actually aims ultimately uh, at trust. Okay? That's really what it boils down to. That you have this native, this intelligence that when you're connected, operates. And it's about non-harming. It's not going to hurt anybody. Because how could you hurt yourself? You know, when that unsubstantialness touches the relative you know, and begins to inform it, then um, uh, that recognition of love and non-separateness uh, becomes more and more uh, where one has to live. It's interesting, the word um, anatta, this word no self that you probably heard about or read about. And I don't buy it really, you know. Uh, it's not something you can think about. No. 
But it's something you're experiencing all the time. You know, when there's any, I think, more moments than you realize that there is just an experience, you know, some sense experience, and we're not putting anything into it. It's just the simplest truth of, oh, this is happening. Oh, this is happening. This is a breath. This is a thought. This is a sensation. And there's no grasping of it. There's just the knowing of it. So there's there with the knowing. Okay? That's all that's there, is the knowing of it. And as we begin moment after moment to rest in the knowing itself, that uh, they say if uh, the mind and body and heart relax enough, It's like a seesaw. It finally comes to rest for a fraction of a second. The mind breaks. Consciousness and the object break. You know, and Kevin talked about the stream entry. Enter the stream of you know, the an awareness or knowing that what I'm talking about is just just the way it is. You know, not complicated. And they talk about it as, at that point, this kind of third point I'm trying to make tonight, it's, it's a single taste. Okay? A single taste means that there's just this. You know, the mind is turned around on itself and begins to recognize uh, that uh, it's not... Dual, it's not separate. It's of a single taste. And that single taste, um, uh, there's no me and you, or I and mine. There is just this. And they use the word this, this tatat, which means, which translates as a suchness, the suchness of things, you know? And that we began to thin. It's not that you get rid of yourself, by the way. You know, uh, Kevin had talked about, you have to like, do this whole thing of like, uh, individuate you know, and realize you're, you are a mess. Oh, I guess that's a piece. Yeah. And that because you're a mess, you know, uh, and you have created uh, all these habits and forms, that uh, you have to somehow uh, work with that. You know, and realize that uh, you are. This is uh, actually from Mahagosananda, but uh, it's actually just a takeoff of, of the Buddha's words. The thought manifests as the word. The word manifests as the deed. The deed develops into a habit. The habit hardens into a character. The character gives birth to the destiny. So watch your thoughts with care. And let them spring from love born out of respect for all beings. You know, thoughts, power, very powerful things. You know. And yet ultimately, uh, when the mind turns around itself, it's not your turning off thinking, by the way. You know, you're just not bothered by it anymore. You know, and you're not jumping on the train of association you're kind of saying, oh, yeah, I know this story. Man, I told this story enough times. Okay, that's okay. Can I just kind of rest in the center of my experience? 
You know? Freedom is not something that is, uh, you know, some Big Bang theory. It's simple as this. Every moment uh, that... Uh, last night, actually, Kevin... Uh, this, I took this piece from him last night in the sense that uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa uh, talked about that uh, nibbana or, or nirvana. Uh, it, there's momentary nirvana. That means that, that in any moment, but I think it is happening all the time, all the time with you. You know, the thing is, the problem is that uh, you don't have any. Um, awareness uh, of it. Uh, Why? Because you have trained yourself fundamentally in uh, you think that uh, it's kind of like uh, the pendulum that that, uh, Heather was talking about that swings on one side where, you know, that's the plus experience. The, you know, I want the 10. Right? Pleasantness. Oh, yes! And then I'll be happy. But we just said, oh, it's in motion all the time. So you can't actually freeze it there. It'll go up and it'll go away. <clears throat> and maybe you'll swing to the other side. It's unpleasant. You know, I don't like that. I'm going to block it. You know. So this thing, so we put all of our energy into this swinging of this thing. And our habit of mind is all about the swing. You know, what happens all the time? There is a center point. And that center point is being passed all the time. And my job is to point to the center. You know? My job is to say, this is where your freedom lies. And it's not obvious, but it's always here. It's also something that... uh, The Buddha simply used the word peace. Peace. What an incredible word. You know? Peace. Oh, is that okay? You know, it doesn't look like pleasantness or unpleasantness. and It doesn't even matter whether pleasantness or unpleasantness is there, actually. What matters is that there is uh, the knowing of not this single taste of this non-dual kind of sitting in the center of your life and saying, oh, I'm enough. Guess what? And whatever this is, this is enough. You know? Wow. That is revolutionary. That is revolutionary. And it's always available. It's not like this is something that's not happening. Something that's actually, because of this pendulum, we're so addicted and hooked to this other experience that we miss the simplicity of this. So my job is to say, oh, let's slow down enough uh, let's try to get a little centeredness and a little calmness and you know, some of this calm abiding. And, and then we start seeing how uh, our kind of uh, habit patterns and how we hold things. And, and uh, oh, but wait, there is something about the self-organizing, about the impermanence of, of the simple truth of, you know, if I kind of gra- try to grab something in the river, you know, it's, you'll, you know, if you try to hold on, you'll get rope burn, Right. You'll keep holding on, but you're still being dragged through time. Only in one direction. You know? This is a one-way ticket, by the way. You know? 
So there is this a single taste, and uh, it is something that's uh, not a big bang theory. It's something that's, uh, when the mind turns around on itself and it begins to say, oh, you know, it's enough. You know, I'm here, I feel it, it's okay. You know, I don't make anything up about myself or anything else. You know, I was thinking about that piece around humility that really, you know, um, uh, it's pretty simple, you know, it's really simple. And uh, then we come to this fourth piece. And this fourth piece, when they translate it, they translate sometimes as non-meditation, which I don't like. But I love the translation of ordinariness. That this whole path is based on becoming ordinary. And that ordinariness is uh, the culmination uh, of the struggle and seeing the neurosis and then the capacity to kind of settle down and begin to uh, kind of own uh, this essence or this truth about uh, the, you know, uh, the unfabricated, you know, the potential uh, that this is so much bigger. I could walk around in this little teeny box, you know, and uh, in this huge universe, and I made the walls. I made them myself, <laughs> you know, with the help of my family and friends, you know. But I made this little box, you know. And you all know that the universe is bigger out but what we're doing here is we're trying to put some holes in the box. You know, and be informed from the big or from, you know, the, this incredible potential that's there. For you. you know. So I love ordinariness. You know, stop the struggle, stop the fight. You know, Start recognizing that, oh, there's all kinds of things going on, but uh, to choose, uh, to choose this non-struggle, to choose peace. And the peace is somehow when the mind and the body make this connection, you know, in its wholeness. And uh, the language of I'm enough. You know, and whatever is happening, sometimes it's not great stuff. I'm sorry. You know, no one promised you that it'd be, you know, something fabulous. No. No one did that. You know. It'd be nice, but, you know. And, you know, for me sometimes, I mean, the idea, I remember when I first went to India in the 60s, you know, I had this idea, oh, heaven, you know, somehow, that there was something out there that would, you know, someplace that would, hold all this and then I gave it up because I realized oh you know there's potential here fabulous potential you know and it allows you to get off of your judge and your rebel and start being here in an intimate way with what it is that's appearing and you appear to me at this moment we all appeared suddenly out of nowhere isn't that amazing? From that point of view, it, it, it's 
it's, it's magic. It's mysterious. It appeared out of nowhere. It'll also, guess what? It'll disappear same way, you know? But that's okay. Something else will appear. How are you going to hold it? You know, how are you going to hold it? You choose. You know, you can take that old bag with all the black stuff in it and drag it along, you know, and pretty soon it gets bigger and bigger and you're like all these stories I got about who did this and that and what and, you know, I should be this way or I should be that way or I need to be better. You know, I, I need to be a better person. I should have that in the box, you know, and I'll drag that better one along. You know, yeah, it's okay. You know, can you love yourself? You have this basic goodness, you know, underneath all of it, you know. Knowing somehow they are taken by something greater. Knowing that their first utterances overheard only by themselves, dropping them only deeper, the silence of this impossible place, this white-tailed kite sitting so still, suspended above our valley, both wings in unison, hovering at the edge of its own insubstantialness, body still, Eyes everywhere. Here, the visible and the invisible show us how our ego, mad mind, dreams on and on, questioning what's real, who's real, heralding the ancient panic. Here on this ground, the waves break, leaving only sky, Vast, empty sky. A groundlessness that sparks the panic which lights the flame again. A groundlessness that sparks the panic which lights the flame again. One wing which holds one above the valley. Empty, maybe just emptiness. The other, some old flame with its warmth and uncompromising light. One holding the void, the other to touch our world. You knew you had, you knew you came to die. See through all the fabricated selves, the warmth and light, only things left. Please take my hand. The world knows you, they have been waiting. Sanity, compassion. Yesterday, this was me. Today, not sure. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.